everybody. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Tommy. And I'm Jacob. And today we're going to be continuing our podcast series for our charity knowledge source. Knowledge Source helps collect money and books for those in need. We try to spread educational opportunities as best we can. This episode will be the fourth in our podcast series entitled Forgotten History, where we explore topics in history that are both interesting and under-discussed. This episode is going to be centered around the lesser-known expedition of Matthew Perry to the isolated island of Japan. Since the dawn of their nation, the Japanese have had the desire to be their own isolated country. The Tokugawa shogunate, which had isolated this fast-developing country, country of hard-working people for over two centuries, was in dire need of natural resources. Despite this lack of resources and strict closure to trade, Japan had developed its population and economy rather quickly and efficiently. They immediately became known as an effective and persistent force of industry. However, they knew that this system, which lacked a, continu a continuous source of resources, was unsustainable if they were to become a genuine world superpower. Interesting fact, when Japan used to close off its shores, the only part that dealt with foreigners was Dejima in Nagasaki. That is where food, combining the essences of Japanese, European, and Chinese cuisine was born, also known as Shippoku cuisine. Wow, really? That's pretty cool. Hey, yeah. So, an American Commodore by the name of Matthew Perry was sent by the 13th President Millard Fillmore as he noticed this lack of natural resources and he sprung into action. In 1854, Perry commanded the U.S.'s East India Squadron, and he was a very effective diplomat. His goal in visiting this enclosed nation was to be the first person to unlock trade with the chaste yet booming economy of this future superpower. Some of the diplomatic and economic provisions that Perry planned to propose included protection of U.S. sailors and soldiers who had been shipwrecked on Japanese shores, the allocation of resources to any U.S. troops in Japan, and the opening of economic trade with Japan. When Perry arrived in Edo in summer 1853, he brought with him four ships, two of them foreign to the Japanese being steamships. At this point, he got turned away by the Japanese. He soon returned in early 1854, however, and brought with him a one-third of the entire American naval fleet, eight ships, all steam in total. This intimidation factor convinced the Japanese that you can't beat these superpowers. You have to join them. They realized that they must open their military up to foreign industry, technology, and open their trade relations with many foreign superpowers. And in March 1854, Perry signed the Treaty of Kanagawa, which ensured the provisions that Perry desired upon his first arrival. So, what's this agreement mean for the future of the U.S. and East Asia? That's something a lot of people might be asking right now. Well, it marked the beginning of an incredible transformation of Japan into what can be considered a world superpower. Their economy expanded more than anyone ever thought possible with such a lack of natural resources, and Japan's and the United States' ensuing trade with China established their stance as a powerful nation on the world stage. The United States economy took a great hit at this time during, due to the Civil War, but this trade agreement was not in vain. Without it, the massive surge in the U.S.'s economy to one of the greatest ever known may never have occurred if it were not for Perry's expedition with the hopes of opening trade with the sleeping giant that was the Empire of Japan. But when hearing about this, one's got to beg the question, what might the world have been like if this had never happened? Well, over even the last century, so much has happened as a result of this deal and the ensuing trade between nations. Japan may never have had the status or the desire to attempt an invasion of the U.S. during World War II. 
China might still be a heavily agrarian nation with a fraction of the economic prowess it holds today. Many divisions of land, like regions of Manchuria, the Philippines, and many, many others, might have gone to different nations and really changed the makeup of the geographic world as we know today. That's absolutely true. We can see on its face that uh, this opening of trade had extreme uh, economic impacts all over the world. Um, and the first thing we want to consider uh, that stemmed from this opening of trade was Japan's newfound place in the world. Oh yeah, absolutely. So when you look at it today, the three top uh, economies in the world could pretty much be traced back to this sole expedition, considering that the U.S. is number one, China is number two, and Japan is number three. And for such a small nation that continues to have lacking natural resources in comparison to some of the other huge economies, it's pretty astounding the amount of the amount that they've been able to expand since this deal. And I think it's just something super important that a lot of people don't seem to know about, and they just kind of take the stance of these nations for granted and attribute it to the hard work ethic of a lot of the a lot of the trade that ensues. However, it can really be stemmed from this from this trade. That's true. In reality, um, this very instance of opening trade was attributable uh, attributable to um, like a, a massive economic growth all over the world. And another thing that uh, Japan's incredible uh, market economy uh, can be attributable to uh, is the fact that it is based off of USA's. Uh, the USA's free market economy. We can also assume that American interaction with this uh, far eastern country may have kickstarted their economy, especially the war afterwards, which uh, kickstarted the impressive Chinese economy. Oh yeah, for sure. The uh, in 1894 to 1895, a, a war occurred that really, really just impacted the makeup of these two nations of China and Japan. When they fought in the Sino-Japanese War, it really caused the emergence of Japan as a superpower considering they defeated the much larger China in a war, and it showed the weakness of the Chinese empire. But this ended up benefiting both nations because Japan really gained some confidence. They were able to internationalize a lot of their trade and a lot of their capabilities, whereas the Chinese empire really came and introspected on what was going on with them. They had a lot of turmoil in terms of politics in their nation, but they ended up becoming a very strong economy off of it, regardless of what you might think of their political ideologies and things like that. They have been a huge economy, and a lot of it can be attributed to this expedition and the, tr and the war thereafter. Perry's expedition was also a major factor in the beginning of the Meiji Restoration. Yeah, so the Meiji Restoration, this was another great example of how the Japanese Empire just expanded based on trade. They Before this, the shogunates were very, very... They didn't really like foreigners they they thought they were barbaric they were However, almost they were almost xenophobic not almost but they really during the meiji restoration they really took the the name meiji actually means enlightened rule and uh the tokugawa shogun is considered the great general because of how much expansion and how much enlightenment in terms of the economy and the people really happened during this era and another thing that uh a big factor because of the uh, great economic expansion of Japan was the Soviet invasion of Manchuria. Um, it was a uh, military assault that um, was from uh, Russia to that uh, they assaulted Japan and it was based on accusations of war crimes and it resulted in significant um, 
losses from the Japanese. And it actually kind of took them down a notch because they were growing so uh, so massively that they they were they were almost threatening the other powerful nations. Yeah, I think just the, this kind of gave Japan a wake up call that they were yeah they were expanding and yeah they were a very very strong nation, but they they at this point they really realized what their strength was and their free market economy and the trade that they could do. And where their weaknesses lied, which was still this lack of natural resources, They've, they're never going to really have that considering the land that they live on. It's not, it's not particularly fertile. There's not a lot of mining capabilities. But because of the Perry expedition, they really figured out what their strengths were in terms of their economy, their ability to trade, and their real ability to connect the nation, especially considering their geographic location. So... I think that's going to be all for today. I hope you guys learned something about the Perry Expedition. And uh, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe.